The best way to predict the future is to invent it. Stephen Ambrose brings you up to speed on what the future holds as he explores the latest technology as it impacts our lives. Well, welcome to Tech Talk right here on High FM where we explore and play with all the latest technology. And it's been quite a big week. In fact, it has been a huge week in the tech industry. The sad news, and you heard all about the medical other issues around coronavirus that has been sweeping the world in the last couple of weeks. And it has claimed another victim, I'm afraid. World Mobile Congress, which is the largest technology show pretty much in the world today, um, and certainly by far the largest in terms of the telecommunications and that space, has been cancelled. This show was supposed to run from the 24th to the 27th of February in Barcelona, Spain, and yours truly was attending and was looking forward to seeing all the new gadgets, gizmos, and hearing all about the real live launch of 5G globally because 5G as a platform is up and running in a huge number of countries. You can now get phones that are are 5G ready, the system is up and going. We are experiencing the speeds and the the sheer ease of use of a system that is that fast already in Johannesburg, as I said last week, with rain and Vodacom to come online quite soon as well. So 5G is the story of communications and technology for 2020. And the big party, the big conference, the one where all the the government guys, all the regulators, all the people who set the standards, all the network operators, the guys who install it from the Huawei's to the Nokia's to the Ericsson's of this world would showcase all their latest um, technologies is no more. It's a huge blow just from a technology sort of dissemination and information point of view, but also a massive, massive impact on airlines, hotels, and the city of Barcelona, they talk about half a billion euros worth of benefit, direct, and who knows how much indirect benefit over a week with all these people, probably close to 200, 250,000 people heading to Barcelona for the show. So what we are going to see, which will maybe be quite interesting, I've already been informed of a couple, is that there are going to be a lot of very local launches of the various products. We're looking forward to a brand new Nokia, Nokia 10 device. Nothing's been specified yet, but not launching at World Mobile. A lot of other manufacturers, handset manufacturers, there was an LG 9 coming or a 10. I'm not sure. The numbers always get me. But so many different products, so many different platforms were being launched. And I think we're going to see a lot of closer-to-home local launches. As much as you know, I personally think that the hysteria around coronavirus is perhaps overplayed somewhat, that's not a medical judgment, just a, a poor techie who would have rather been in Barcelona than not. But um, it, it has had an enormous impact. And again, I suppose 140,000 people crammed into a exhibition hall is not the safest place. So probably the responsible thing to do, uh, apparently Formula One in China that in April has been postponed indefinitely. So enormous impact of this particular little issue around the world and not much else that we can do about it. But I'm going to be attending, starting from the 9th of March, a lot of local events. So expect to see a much more drawn-out um, tech cycle. And certainly it's not going to slow down the launch of 5G 
in all the various countries, including South Africa. So I'll be back with a little bit more news. Um, and it's actually got to do with data and load shedding. What a combo. But we'll chat about that straight after this. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Welcome back. And as I was saying, we have got an interesting combination of load shedding and data coming on. MTN and Vodacom, for that matter, as well as Celsi to a lesser extent, they have fewer towers floating about, have reported an enormous, enormous um, growth or hike or epidemic of battery theft and vandalism at their various uh, mobile sites in the last couple of months. And since load shedding um, hit, they've been hit, MTN specifically, have had 125 robberies a week of batteries at their cell phone towers. And, I mean, these batteries are enormously expensive. I mean, hundreds of millions of rands worth of batteries are being stolen. But the impact on the greater um, sort of communication landscape is horrendous. And it's actually very interesting how many people I speak to saying that as soon as load shedding hits, bam, no cell phone signals or the cell phone signals and they all scream and shout at the networks that they've got no power. In fact, the latest telecom Vodacom outage that happened about a week ago was tied to some of this type of theft and vandalism. Unfortunately, the theft of our infrastructure has become an enormous challenge in South Africa. And the hassle with cell phone signals is if there's a huge hole when the tower goes down and it's not operating, there's absolutely nothing you can do about it. If you don't have other towers in the area that can compensate to some extent, you simply have no access. And the knock-on effect, I've been saying that the cost of data is going to fall. There's no question with the launch of 5G, the sheer cost of, of, of supplying data will drop. So the price of data will drop over the next year without a shadow of doubt, all things being equal. But the biggest problem that we've got, seriously, is that with all the... Um, with all the um, batteries being stolen, the cost of replacement, the cost of reinforcing these sites, the cost of securing the various network towers, and there are tens of thousands of them across the country, is going to have to be borne by somebody. The networks have to pass that on. They can only insure so much. And even then, um, they're going to have to pass these costs on to us, you and me, and they may well have to increase the price of their services, calls, data over the next little while simply to compensate for all these losses. There's one other problem, and this is where the load shedding comes in. A lithium-ion battery, even the highest grade, has a certain cycle. So if you have four hours of load shedding and it happens more than once a day, which does happen in certain areas like four in the morning and then again 12 that afternoon, the batteries themselves don't have enough time to fully recharge before they get hit again with a load shedding scenario. The other and what means you get an hour of power the second time round and then no more no more uh, load shedding. MTN and, and Vodacom have maintained that they're putting generators, petrol or diesel-based generators, at key sites to try to mitigate this. But again, that comes at a cost. A cost. And the other negative aspect of this, which has a long-term impact, is that every time you deep cycle a battery of this sort, in other words, you you fully discharge it and then don't fully recharge it and then discharge it again, you actually shorten the life of the battery. So, again, that has, ampli uh, has, has uh, an impact on how long the battery can keep the site up and running. And two, 
You run them down quickly. You have to replace them quickly. Cost implications. And the price of data may even rise because of that as well. So my, uh, I'm just saying that don't get involved. Don't go and uh, sort of monitor the, the towers. But if you see anything suspicious, report it immediately. If you see anybody hanging around uh, a cell phone tower base, report it immediately to MTN. I think if you look on their website, there are a couple of, and Vodacom, they've got, oh, yeah, the MTN fraud line, 083-123-7867, 083-123-7867. Report it directly to them or to the Bidvest Protea Coin hotline, 086-101-1721, 086-101-1721. If you see anything that's even vaguely concerning around a tower, it's really in your interests in order to stay connected, to report it as soon as you can. <coughs> Excuse me, it's a little bit dry in the studio today. So, yeah. Um, so... Moving on, unfortunately, that is not really not good news, but stay awake, stay aware, and um, keep your eyes open because it really is a bit of a challenge, and it definitely does impact us. Rain as well, interestingly. I, I spoke about the Rain 5G network this last weekend because of load shedding. Rain 5G disappeared. was not available for many subscribers in, in areas that had load shedding. There were other issues, but unfortunately... Um, Rain themselves have released a report uh, or a comment saying that their 5G towers do not have extensive battery backup, which is very interesting. Their 4G towers, on the other hand, do. So um, in the case that 5G goes off in load shedding scenarios, you may or may not be able to get a decent 4G signal, but the 5G signal just disappears. And that's what, you know, I was getting quite used to, the super speed of 5G. But... It is the power, the load shedding really has a massive impact. So let's hope ESCOM can keep the lights on. Apparently 9,500 megawatt of power is their margin. Below that, they don't need to, or yeah, if they keep their, their outages below 9.5, they don't need to load shed and we can all happily keep using our mobile data. And in a completely different note, and this is actually even more critical to the mobile industry, very mobile focused this show, but, uh, Mobile certainly does have a massive impact. Um, America uh, let, uh, released a um, report, or not a report, they released information that they have discovered that, um, or rather they have, they, they've confirmed something that a lot of people have been talking about for a long time, and that Huawei has a backdoor into the mobile networks where they install the equipment. Now, all networks have to have a, a lawful uh, interception subsystem or platform or ability in every single network. So even in South Africa, if the law uh, agencies or any agency related to security needs to get some access to mobile, either mobile records or mobile calls or intercept calls, they have to go to court, get a court order, su- uh, supply that to the mobile networks, and they there are platforms right now on the on the mo- on the mobile networks which allow these people to intercept your call so it's not quite as simple as the good old days with analog cables where they simply clip two wires to your to your phone and could listen in you know 
willy-nilly, no, no, no questions asked. Today it's hugely difficult. Essentially all telephone calls, all mobile phone calls are hugely encrypted, cannot be deciphered, no one can listen in unless they use the lawful intercept that is built into the networks. Well, the Americans have been to see Germany and uh, the UK to show them that evidence, apparently, this has not been confirmed by any any other third party, but generally, as much as the Americans and the Chinese are having a little bit of a tiff over trade and all sorts of other things, it's just unlikely that uh, an agency like the CIA or the intelligence agencies in the US would make these claims unless they had some form of um, proof. But they have sub- submitted this proof to the Americans, uh, to the Germans and to the English, and it's hugely concerning. Of course, Huawei have stringently and hugely denied that they have any such access, pointing out that um, that sort of access is always limited to the government or the country that it's it's built in, and how could they have that? The problem is, I think it leaves a lingering doubt as to the veracity of the claim both on both sides. So unfortunately, I think things are not getting better for Huawei on that space, and uh, who knows where they'll be excluded or not included in the network rollouts of 5G going forward. England has said they will use certain uh, certain limited parts of Huawei's equipment because they are pretty cutting-edge and well-priced, but the core of the network, the, the part where you intercept calls, will definitely not be accessible to anything built, manufactured, or sold by Huawei. And we'll be back with Tech Talk Cafe and the launch of a huge new range of devices from Samsung, which happened on Tuesday. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Well, welcome back and welcome to Tech Talk Cafe. We don't have, uh, uh, I tried my best to get someone from Samsung into the studio, but I think they're a little bit uh, slammed with media requests at the moment. But on Tuesday, the 11th, the huge Samsung Unpacked event was held in San Francisco. And Samsung, interestingly, even though this was way before coronavirus, they used to normally uh, announce all their new phones at Mobile World Congress. But I think in order to avoid the noise and the confusion and the clutter of of so many announcements, they decided to launch the new Galaxy S20 range, as well as something uh, really interesting called the Z Flip at an event in San Francisco on the 11th of February. And just to put it out there, I think the new Z Flip is one of the coolest um, devices that I've seen, played with, and, um, you know, handled in, in a long little while. Flexible screens have become all the rage. Galaxy uh, Samsung rela- launched the Galaxy Fold last year, around about this time, or announced it rather, uh, unfortunately, due to technical issues like dirt getting in in the screen, people thinking that the screen had a screen cover and then trying to peel it off and effectively peeling the screen off um, sort of delayed things. And that was just the media, people who should actually know better. But it, it did result in a recall. They did not launch the phone and they kept it back till late September, October last year um, and then launched the Galaxy, relaunched the Galaxy Fold with a far more secure hinge with much better ceiling, so dirt couldn't get behind the screen but the fact is it was a gen 1 prototype device that looked like a normal thick normal phone which opened up to essentially a seven inch tablet and really a, an incredible sort of 
um, first effort in regard to brand new tech. Flexible screens based on OLED technology are starting to become more and more commonplace. LG are doing it. They've pioneered that as well on their OLED screens for big TVs. But so many uses for flexible screens are coming out now and expect to see a huge jump in the number of flexible screen type devices, be they tablets, be they phones, be it TVs that roll up, be it displays that wrap around poles and um, pillars in, in, in business and, and out and about. So flexible screens have become a huge thing. And the second shot at flexible screens, the Galaxy Z Flip, is actually an incredibly good one. It looks a little bit, and in fact they've aimed it at a particular market, the fashion-conscious market, and it looks like a, a compact, you know, a makeup compact when you look at it. It's simply a normal thin phone that folds in the middle into a sort of square compact device, but when you open it up, it has a flat 6.7-inch screen, operates like a normal cell phone in every single respect. But when it's folded is where some of the clever stuff comes in. You can put it on the table. It's infinitely variable like a laptop. So you can move the, the, the top part up and down to get it to the perfectly perfect spot. You can take all sorts of selfies. But what they've done in the software is really cool, very smart indeed. The top of the screen remains a screen. The bottom of the screen becomes becomes an interaction pad. So you can swipe on it, you can type on it, depending on the type of app. You can do all, it, it becomes the way that you interact with the device. And I was really amazed at the quality of the hinge. It, it feels solid. It's properly sealed. Don't worry about dirt getting in. They guarantee it. They reckon that you can open and close the phone 200,000 times before um, any degradation or, or problems. There is a slight crease in the middle of the f of the screen, which it didn't bother me, but I suppose I wasn't using it for a long time. I'm going to try to get one for review and just get a feel for how that works out. But this is what's interesting. The Galaxy Flip or the Galaxy Z Flip will go on sale in limited uh, amounts on the 22nd of February in South Africa and then on full launch early March. So, You'll be able to get your hands on this device. It's not something that's going to be in ultimate limited supply. Expect to see lots of adverts around it because it is just a very, very cool um, technology statement, for want of a better word. And with Samsung behind it using the latest Android 10, their latest software, and some clever little software tweaks to make the fact that you have a bendy phone um, at all times really useful, I think they've done an extremely good job at making this a very useful device. The, 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 the Galaxy Z Flip is going to sell for 29,995 Rand. Expect all sorts of accessories and deals around about one and a half grand a month on the various contracts, which is certainly not inexpensive. But what has happened of late is that high end phones have pushed well into the 20,000s. And um, the networks are probably going to do their best to to package them in a way that makes it somewhat affordable to the, the wealthy and the first-time adopters. But compare that to the price of the Fold, which was 45,000 Rand when it launched last year. It probably still is 45,000 Rand. This is almost, almost an affordable uh, phone. Not quite, but at 29995 and around about one for a month um, on a network package, it is certainly 
very, very affordable. The coolest color they had was gold, but they're not bringing the gold. They're bringing the black and the blue into South Africa. But um, who knows? If you vote and let them know that you're keen on a gold flip phone, <laughs> which it actually in the, in, in the flesh is, is a really attractive gold, um, you know, give Samsung, drop them a line on social media, let them know that gold is what you want, and uh, perhaps they could revise it and bring in a couple of gold ones. But it is a big, bold step uh, forward into a whole new form factor. Whether it'll stay, whether it'll stick, whether people will find utility, I think that there's still a couple of questions to be asked. But this is an excellent, excellent second generation product. It's solid. It feels solid. The cameras are excellent. The screen is pretty much amazing. It has a very thin glass cover, um, which the previous fold was plastic, so it's, it's a little bit more scratch resistant. It's shiny, so you'll need a little cloth to keep uh, some of the fingerprints off. But overall, it flips open really cool. It's going to be the talk of the town at any con, you know, anywhere you go. And as I said, I'm going to try to get my hands on one fairly shortly and um, let you know what it, what it feels like in, in, in long term. But short term, I must say, I was super impressed. The build quality is good as any Samsung Galaxy. The screen is one of the finest that I've seen Samsung do insane uh, screens. And um, it certainly did steal the show to some extent at the launch of the new Galaxy range. But the next and most important step for Samsung was the launch of the Galaxy S20 range. But here's what's really interesting. Um, they did not go for the Galaxy S11. Last year, remember, they launched the Galaxy S10. But what they did this year is they decided that it was, I, mean, I think a little bit of marketing speak came into it. They also des- they decided that the S20 range is such uh, an improvement over the S10 range that they decided to, you know, just go the whole hog and go to S20. But S20 in 2020, uh, lots of alliteration, but S20 in 2020 does have a nice ring to it. And I think that was probably my, pretty much what um, they were going to be offering. Now, the Galaxy S20 range comes now in three versions. There's the S20, the S20 Plus, and the S20 um I've gone completely blank. How's that for a, for a poor, poor preparation for a show? The S20, the S20 Plus, and the S20 Ultra. Um, and that is an enormous range. The, the, the look and the feel is very similar in some respects to the S10, though what they have done, um, they've improved the, the screen. In other words, they've centered the, the little camera cutout into the middle, which makes it look a little sleeker. Also, the cameras, instead of being a little bar across the bottom and the top, um, are now in a square sort of setup on the rear. And overall, the the build quality, not that there was anything to complain about on the S10 series, the S20 build series is absolutely outstanding. It just feels completely and utterly premium. They all come with 128 gigabyte of memory um, with the ability to take that up to 1.5 terabyte on the on the S20 Ultra with um, with an SD card and the big change between the S10 and the S20 taking away a lot of the marketing hype taking away a lot of the sort of this is the best Samsung the phone that Samsung have ever made which it is um, they have 
pulled out the stops as far as cameras have gone. They've got a completely new camera setup on all the models, and it is pretty much, from what I can see, spectacular. The S, the the S twenty Ultra is their flagship. It's a six point seven inch, yep, six point seven inch edge to edge screen. There's essentially no bezel, um, very little, very little surround uh, on the front, and on the rear there are no less then four separate cameras. But the magic comes in the zoom camera. It is a 10-time folded lens optical zoom, something that Huawei did launch in the P30 uh, series or the P30 Pro earlier this year. But they have done that, and then they have topped everybody with a 108-megapixel main camera on on all of the, um, the, the devices. And the benefit of having such a huge high megapixel camera is something that they call pixel binning. So in other words, what what are the, the main drawback on a tiny little camera or a tiny little device like a cell phone is that you haven't got much room for lenses. So in order to get really high quality, they have to play a ton of technical tricks to do that. And this sensor get combines the input of up to nine different pixels. So the pixels themselves are fairly big, but when you combine nine pixels electronically, you can get a 12 megapixel ultimate resolution uh, picture. But because you had 108 megapixels to work with, the computing power and the AI behind the the actual camera subsystem can combine those pixels into a, an, a 12 megapixel ultimate picture that is leagues ahead of anything else in the 12 megapixel pixel range. So you get resolution, you get sharpness, you get contrast, equivalent in most respects to a really high-end 30 or 40 megapixel SLR-type camera. So Samsung have really tried to differentiate the entire S20 range using the ultimate in mobile camera technology. The sensor is their own. They developed it. They developed it themselves, and this is the first time that we've seen it in a mobile device. And again, I didn't have time to really spend much time with the camera. But the benefit of all the cameras across the entire range of the S20s is that the low light camera, the low light picture camera ability is absolutely insane. In almost near dark, you're getting incredibly good pictures. The normal speed, focus, and accuracy of of pictures taken in in sort of good quality light and normal sort of conditions is pretty spectacular. I think in many ways, Samsung have really taken the the lead in in on cam on mobile phone cameras as much as the the um, Apple iPhone 11 has really revolutionized the combination of great cameras and great software and great AI has taken mobile photography to the next level. Samsung, Huawei were always right up there with their cameras, but Samsung, I think, for the first time, have really taken the lead in a big way. On the Ultra, you've got up to a 100 times optical zoom, well, not optical, a combination of 10 times optical and the balance in, in, in software, but you can zoom a hundred times, which is something that most SLRs, you need enormous lenses to do it. And I played with that. I saw a couple of demos of it. Yes, at a hundred times, you do lose a little bit of resolution. It's not quite as sharp as before, but the, 
ability to zoom a hundred times and still get a very e- good quality, very sharp and easy to use um, camera is absolutely insane. It pretty much blew me away that you could zoom to that extent and still see detail and, and a really adequate quality picture on a hundred times zoom. And this is on a mobile phone. We're not talking about a fancy 300 kilo SLR with a massive long lens. We're talking about something you slip out of your pocket, zoom in a hundred times and see exactly what's going on. It is pretty insane. But then just to take it to the next level, what they also announced across the S20 range is 8K video footage. So that you can now take videos in 8K. 8K is not mainstream yet, but this is a huge step towards 8K video photography. And again, looked at a couple of demos on the Samsung 8K S QLED screen, and it is pretty spectacular. In fact, the whole show from San Francisco was live, broadcast live across the world on a Samsung S20 Plus or S20 Ultra uh, phone. So they didn't use any professional cameras. They simply built built these rigs, and they plugged phones in, and they did the entire show. They live-streamed the entire show off an S20 Ultra camera, which, again, just tells you that mobile phone cameras have moved way beyond just being a happy snapper for the odd picture of your friends and family to being really incredibly useful tools um, to use in, in photography, in video creation, video production. And again, a combination of a, ca- of a, a smartphone that can shoot Q, uh, 8K, expect to see it all high-end from Huawei, from uh, Apple, all of them being able to shoot 8K this year, means that the speed at which 8K videos, 8K um, streaming, 8K YouTube, 8K televisions are coming by 2021, 2022, we'll be wondering how we watch TV without an 8K TV. Maybe a little bit slower in South Africa, but the fact is we've got the broadband, we've got the the necessary infrastructure, and 8K is going to become a big deal. And Samsung have done it first. They've got really an incredibly useful, easy-to-use 8K camera. You don't have to. And the one other really interesting um, fact is that the new screens are all 120 hertz. Now, that might sound like tech gobbledygook, but simply put, 120 hertz screens refresh twice as fast as previous S10 screens. And the benefit of that is that when you scroll, when you touch, when you move, when you game on that screen, its rate of refresh, in other words, the the time for the picture to come on the screen is doubled, and it feels buttery smooth, incredibly fast, incredibly detailed. And when you move something quickly, it doesn't blur. It stays sharp. And for gaming, that is an absolute win. So the little bit I played with games on the new S20 range across the S20 Plus and the Ultra, I was pretty blown away with the sheer smoothness. The downside is battery life, but the new S20 range has batteries ranging from 4,000 to 5,000 milliamp hours. So pretty much the biggest batteries we've seen on phones on the market up to date. And they promise massive improvements of battery life over the S10 series. The pricing, which is really interesting, I can see we're running out of time because there's so much to talk about, but I will be talking about one of the favorite gadgets straight after this with regard to the Samsung launch. But the price of the new Galaxy S20 range is not inexpensive. But remember, these are top-end flagship devices. The Galaxy S20, which is uh, still an incredibly 
decent product, same processor, same screen, very similar cameras, doesn't have the 100 times zoom, but very similar camera setup with a 6.2-inch screen will retail for 18999 with a 128 gig. The S20 Plus, which is a 6.7-inch, uh, I got a little muddled there, but a 6.7-inch um, device also with 128 gig, expandable up to a terabyte, is 20999. And the S20 Ultra, with its 100 times zoom and a uh, 6.9-inch screen, which, interestingly, it's big, it's huge, there's no question, but it didn't feel terribly big in the hand. It's still slim with an edge-to-edge screen, pretty much not much bigger than the the S, uh, the S10 Plus from last year, selling for 26999 and there will be a 512 gigabyte variant uh, at a slightly higher price. And all of these phones can be pre-ordered, Right now, I can see if you go and look online, most of the guys are, pre- are allowing pre-orders and they will be um, on va- available or they will be delivered by the 12th of March. So pretty soon and all of them will get a pair of free Galaxy Buds Plus, which is what I'm going to be talking about straight after our break. So we'll break for a quick uh, advert for our from our sponsors and then we'll be back with just a wrap up of the new range of Samsung devices, which you may or may not be waiting for. So we'll be back straight after this. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. So moving back to pretty much, call it my gadget of the week. I spoke about uh, in-ear headphones last week and um, mentioned in my review of some great sports headphones, the Galaxy Buds from Samsung. Now the Galaxy Buds were launched last year with S, with the Galaxy S10 and were a very, very good in my estimation and well thought out, uh, competitor to the Apple earpods or that with the little white stick sticking out of your ears. I've always thought that looks it might be there might be some really good technical reason for it because that contains the antenna, contains the battery, and it just probably performs a little bit better to have this thing sticking out of your head. But it still looks a little bit interesting. Let's leave it at that when you see people wandering around with little white sticks sticking out of their ears and hanging down. Well, the, the um, Galaxy Buds from Samsung were an in-ear, almost complete in-ear earbud which was small, discreet, and pretty much um, didn't have any sticky-out parts whatsoever and had great battery life. I must say that in the time that I've used them in the last year, they've had no problem with connectivity. They sound pretty good on voice calls. They sound excellent on music. They are. There's a little bit of lag. Sometimes the, intuit, the intuitiveness of tapping or touching the screen every time you move your hand near your ear, you switch the sound on and off. So a little oversensitive to touch and tap, worked perfectly on iOS, worked perfectly on Android. In fact, I found that uh, certain other manufacturers' Android phones sounded better on those Galaxy Buds than the Samsung did, but that's a discussion for another time. But the Galaxy Buds, I think, were one of the better and well-priced. They were certainly a little bit cheaper than, than other leading earbuds, and they had two key 
I wouldn't say drawbacks, but two key considerations. One, they were an in-ear device. In other words, they plugged into your ear. They gave pretty good voice cancellation, but they weren't great for sport because of the ceiling effect of them being in your ear. They had a very good companion app which allowed pass-through, which mitigated some of that problem. In other words, you could hear your environment going around you despite the fact that you had an earbud you know, properly plugged into your ear. They did not fall out. Despite uh, vigorous shaking, running, jumping, and whatnot, they they were pretty snug, but they did they they were a little um, sealed in many many ways. Well, what Samsung have launched and what they've released with the S twenty range are the new Galaxy Buds Plus. And they are, as I said, going to be included as a free option with all S20s, S20 Pluses, and S20 Ultras that are are pre-ordered over the next couple of weeks. And they will come free in the box. But I tried them briefly at the launch, and I must tell you something. They have significantly improved on the Galaxy Buds from last year. And... um, Improved it in many, many, many different ways. The first and most important way, these new buds, the previous Galaxy buds, had five hours of talk time with another five to seven hours in the in the case. So when you popped them in the case, they recharged and you could get another five to seven hours. Well, the good news is the Galaxy buds, the new versions, the Plus from 2020, um, have got 11 hours of basic use from a tiny little earbud um Straight out of the box. So you get 11 hours before you pop it into the case, and the case gives you another 11 hours. But it has one huge trick. The case is very cool. It charges through USB-C, but it also charges through wireless. And all the new S20s, like the S10 range, have reverse wireless charging. So you could simply turn that on, put your Galaxy Buds uh, case on the back of your phone and charge your buds from your phone. Obviously you use a phone power, but with a 5000 milliamp hour battery on the, on the ultra, you certainly can charge a few uh, galaxy buds in your, in, 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 in a day. But they've done something else that's really cool. In three minutes of charge, you will get one hour of use out of the galaxy buds. So never will you have a situation Really, where you could completely run out of power at at eleven at twenty two hours of charge in an average week's worth of use, probably charge it no more than once or twice a week, which is pretty significant. So they've significantly improved the battery life of the basic ear, earbuds themselves, and it's probably that it's way ahead of the new Huawei's. It's way ahead of the new um, uh, ones from Sony and from. Um, Apple. So 11 hours, I think, is is a pretty significant step in the right direction. But it didn't just stop there. What Samsung have also done is included a whole host of new microphones. The previous buds had two. The new ones have four, two internal, two external. So they, they noise suppress significantly better than the previous generation. The voice quality on calls, I was pretty amazed. Even the noisy, crazy environment of, of the launch was significantly better. They've also added another speaker. So now you've got, whereas before they had one speaker in the device, it's now got two, a high-frequency tweeter and a low-frequency bass unit. Obviously, I couldn't pair it to my own music, my own phone at the at the launch, but I must admit the sound was incredibly clean, incredibly crisp. The bass was surprisingly good for such a tiny little device. So on all fronts, what um, Samsung have done is they've taken a really good set of earbuds, 
um, and they have improved them absolutely significantly. I think they will be the earbuds to beat um, the the iPhone. Um, you know, the iPhone EarPod Pro is coming out now. It should actually have just launched. It should be available in store right away. Quite quite pricey, around about three and a half thousand rand range. But great reviews, great noise cancelling. Obviously, if you're an Apple fan, it's the one to go for. It's also got a slightly short, shorter stick that sticks out of your ear, so it looks a little less uh, sort of earbuddy. And um, certainly a great competitor. But this new, if you're a, if you're an Android Samsung fan, it's an absolute no-brainer. Not that um, Apple earpods don't work with other. Um, with other devices, they do. They work perfectly with Android. Never had a problem with that. But I think these are really a very, very interesting take on a high-quality in-ear um, earbud, great noise cancelling, excellent sound, insane battery life, the ability to charge it as quickly as you can charge it. The wireless charging case comes standard. It's not an optional extra. You don't have to pay for it. It's there. It's part of the deal. And the fact that they're giving them to everybody who buys a, a Samsung S20 series phone is is just huge. Expect to see a lot more people with a much more discreet-looking earpod built in. They also work independently. So if you only want to put one in, you can do that. And I was just significantly impressed how quickly and how fast that technology has has come. And it complements pretty much the range of the S20 phones. The question that I'll, I've, I've been asked by many people is, should you upgrade? The simple fact is maybe it's not critical, but if you want the best camera, the best screen, and certainly the best Android hardware on the market right now, the S20 range certainly fits that bill significantly. The Ultra looks like an absolute tour de force of camera, screen, speed of, of, of processor, and I will mention straight after the break, because I'm being told that we have to take a quick break, we'll mention one last thing regarding 5G on the S20 range, but we'll be back with that straight after this. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Well, welcome back, and just a quick wrap-up of what I was saying. One of the concerns is that we talked about 5G, this is the year of 5G, on the unpacked launch, all phones, all the S20 series phones in the U.S. will be 5G ready. The problem with 5G is that there's a lot more complicated stuff going on. Though this year is the first year that the chipsets, that the, the, both the Samsung and the Qualcomm chipsets in South Africa, the chipset used on the various devices are Samsung chipsets, whereas in America they're all Qualcomm chipsets for licensing reasons. But simply put, the Qualcomm chipset is the, this particular version, the 865, is the first one that can do sub-6 sub and millimeter band 5G. All that that tech-speak means is that Below 6 gigahertz, in other words, the frequencies that most phones work in today, you can get 5G. In fact, 5G in South Africa is on 3.5 gigahertz, but the millimeter wave is above 6 gigahertz and is not very suitable for big dis countries like South Africa where you need lots of lots of um, space and you don't have enormous density. Most of America is running on, on, on the millimeter wave 5G bands. In other words, you've got tons of towers very close to each other in high-density areas, and you're getting incredible speeds if you're close to the towers. In South Africa, we're not getting those speeds because mostly it's 3.5 gig, not multiple frequencies, number one. Number two, the, the 
distances from the towers are hired. high, but that's, again, a discussion for another time. The new Samsung S20 range will be 5G ready in South Africa, although none of the networks will tell you about it. You're not going to hear any promotion about the 5G-ness of the new S20 range. They're probably not going to mention anything to do with connectivity at all, other than all the ab- other fabulous features. But should you take that phone to an area like America or Europe where 5G is starting to become quite prevalent, you should be able to, I won't say would, they say they're disabling the 5G ability, but that is all linked to the SIM. If the SIM can do it and the phone is in the right area and the bands match, you should be able to get 5G. So the one question I've been asked and I asked myself is that I'm going to buy the best latest Samsung phone, for example, like the S20 Ultra, I'm going to expect it to have every single option in the world. And should 5G launch sometime later this year in South Africa, will the phone be ready for it? The answer is, without a question, the phone comes with a built-in 5G chipset. They may disable it in the software for now. You may see no reference to 5G when you get the phone. But a simple over-the-air update would unlock that phone for 5G should 5G become available. The reason they didn't do it right now is that the standards, Vodacom are still testing, the standards are not finalized, no one knows exactly which bands they're going to be in, there's still too much uncertainty. Though Vodacom have announced that in the first half of 2020 they will be launching a fully commercial 5G mobile network. So expect the new Samsung phones to work perfectly on those networks, um, but they obviously keep saying you know, they're worried about the quality and they don't want people to feel that they're not getting what they're paying for. But from a future-proof point of view, you're spending close to 30,000 Rand on a mobile device. You fully expect it to have all the latest technology. And I can assure you from the discussions I've had with Samsung that all the new S20 devices will have that technology built in and it will not be entirely available um, at launch because it won't feature anywhere. We don't have the networks up and running. But certainly um, that feature should be switched on as we go ahead. And one last little announcement that slipped up at the uh, at the launch is that one of my favorite uses of Samsung is Samsung Pay, which is available on a host of their Samsung phones right now. You swipe up, you use your phone to pay. It's safe, it's secure, no one can clone your card, and it works pretty much everywhere. has now been brought as well to NetBank. It was Standard Bank, ABSA, and FNB, but now you, if you've got a NetBank MasterCard, you can add it to um, your Samsung Pay, you can register it and use it like any other card, which is great. So Samsung Pay, they actually mentioned, is one of the, the biggest payment mobile payment platforms in South Africa. We do not have Apple Pay. And I must say, it's, it's really effective. It works on swipe cards. It works on tap to pay. And it's just a great, great, great way to stay safe. And when you go to gym and you run out of the house and you haven't got credit cards, you can still pop past Bulbas and pick up something for dinner. So Smart, and um, it's just a great ecosystem, the whole uh, Samsung Pay ecosystem. So on that note, I've been told it's time to wrap it up till next week. Um, I will be traveling. Um, Barcelona might be have been canceled, but my plane ticket wasn't, so I'm off. But we will try to catch up and have a show ready for you next week. It might not be live from Barcelona, but such is life. Until next week, this is Stephen Ambrose on Tech Talk right here on High FM.